Congress and the Biden administration tussle over America's response to Iran-sponsored attacks in Syria. What's America's strategy for the Middle East as threats from Iran grow, while traditional allies turn towards China and Russia? We'll ask all those questions and many more, including what's the best food at the Iowa State Fair, to our special guest this week, United States Senator Joni Ernst. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, we have a U.S. Senator in the waiting room. We do not keep Senators waiting, so let's get to our special guest. Joni Ernst has served as the junior Senator from Iowa since 2015. She was a county auditor, state senator, and army veteran of 23 years with service in Iraq. The first female combat veteran ever elected to federal office, Senator Ernst is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, ranking member of the Senate Small Business Committee and chairman of the Republican Policy Committee. Senator Ernst, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for being with us, too. Uh, We've obviously been watching the events in Israel closely uh, the last few weeks and days, uh, Mm -hmm. and hopefully this uh, compromise uh, that's uh, being worked out uh, does work out uh, on the Israeli front. Uh, And we also, I think, saw a bipartisan consensus over this time, some outliers, but by and large, people just trying to encourage uh, our Israeli allies to work together, not trying to get involved, not meddling. Mm -hmm. We did see President Biden uh, come out, uh, say he wouldn't invite the prime minister to the White House now unless he shelved reforms. This is seemingly contradicting our ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, who said that now there, there would be an invitation to Netanyahu and what do you make of what's going on in Israel, what your colleagues uh, are saying about it and thinking about it, and how you view the, the White House role in all of it? Well, I, I simply believe that we shouldn't be dictating to other countries what their judicial systems are any more than we would want them dictating to us. And so I, I really disagreed with President Biden and the way he handled this. Uh, when President Biden and congressional Democrats wanted to weaken our own judiciary and pack the Supreme Court, there was no international outrage like we saw with Israel. I think it's important that we focus on our judiciary and other countries focus on theirs. And the thing to remember here is that Israel has a very robust democratic process And that sometimes will include protests. It'll sometimes include dissent. And we're seeing that in Israel right now. But again, it's not unlike our own system here in the United States. Senator, what do you think uh, the protests and the political unrest or I don't know if I want to call it unrest, but the certain certainly the protests and mass demonstrations in Israel signal to Israel's enemies in the region, particularly Iran. Do you think it it it's a there's sort of two ways to cut this? On the one mm-hmm. hand, it shows the democratic traditions that, right. uh, but on the other hand, when you have reservists who are not reporting for duty because they're protesting the government, that that's a little scary as well. What do you make of it? Yeah, that is a little difficult. And again, you know, I I try to stay focused on the ways that we can be helpful as the United States. 
But certainly um, what we want to see in Israel is that they can come together. Uh, I do think having protests and seeing those and how the government responds to those protests, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in the United States, um, that it does show the world that we have room for dissent. And that's important to any democracy. Uh, it, it makes our own system that much more valid on the world stage. And so I think that's really, really important. But you're right in that it does cut a different direction because you have those that are, that are obligated to serve in their government, uh, in particular in the military. And if they aren't showing up for work, that can signal very bad things to others in the region. And in particular, probably Iran and how they are watching this unfold. So I think it's really important that people are messaging that while we disagree on this issue, we remain bound together against Iran. Uh, Senator, just to zoom out to, to the larger region as we talk about the strategic framework and its shifting sands at the moment, uh, the U.S.-Saudi relations, obviously a lot in the news these days, particularly uh, with this Iran-Saudi uh, rapprochement apparently brokered by China. The Saudis now signaling over and over again what's potentially a, a, either a hedge or a pivot towards China. We just saw in the news that they're taking steps now to perhaps join in some way observer status in the Shanghai Cooperation Council following that, that broker deal with Iran. Are we losing the Saudis to China? Should we be concerned about that as America? What should we be doing? I think we uh, we absolutely must pay attention to Saudi. And we've had our own disagreements with Saudi Arabia, and they are by no means perfect. But that nation is so critical and that the relationship with Saudi Arabia is um, so important. They are probably one of the most significant partners in the region. And we really do need to promote closer cooperation on, on those issues of mutual interest, including regional security cooperation, um, which is why we continue to encourage them to engage in activities like the Abraham Accords, um, I did recently visit the region and I had a chance to sit down uh, with key leadership in Saudi, including the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. And he did emphasize his concern with the lack of perceived U.S. commitment in the region. And I'm hoping that's something that I can help shape, that other members of Congress can help shape. Um, but in terms of, again, going back to the Abraham Accords, I think there is a very big interest for Saudi Arabia to join the Accords from that security and economic standpoint. Um, but a move like that will take very careful and, and uh, competent diplomacy. And that's something, again, that the Biden administration has really not shown itself capable of doing. So again, I, I do believe that Saudi Arabia will be a, an incredibly important partner. Um, I am very thankful that I was able to visit with a number of other colleagues on this congressional delegation. And just to, to demonstrate why I think they are not 
pivoting necessarily to China. Um, in that discussion, the, the members of Congress, uh, the, in this particular instance, it was a group of senators that visited with MBS. Um, we had a, a very heavy discussion about purchasing American, American Boeing airplanes uh, for their fleet and uh, a discussion about those dual citizenship Saudi American citizens that were being imprisoned in Saudi Arabia for things like tweets in the past years that were critical of uh, the royal family. And what we have seen recently, Saudi Arabia purchased American Boeing jets. Saudi Arabia just recently released an American Saudi prisoner that they had been holding over uh, comments about the royal family. So I do think we need to engage. I think they want to look westward. We really have to work on this relationship. Senator, speaking of China, do we think, you know, it it used to be that uh, the key to containing Iran hinged on cooperation with Russia and China and the EU. Um, Obviously, with what Russia has going on in Ukraine, they're not a partner. Any, they're not going to be a partner on containing Iran anytime soon. In fact, it's it's the opposite, right? They're they're mm-hmm. even more entrenched with the Iranian regime. But is there an opportunity, given uh, China's engagement with Saudi Arabia and Iran, to to use them as a as a lever, so to speak, to uh, help contain Iranian nuclear ambitions um, and maybe sort of peel them away from China, uh, peel them away from Russia as it relates to Iran? Well, that is quite possible. And I'll continue to always go back to the fact that relationships matter. And certainly as you develop very strong relationships, then you do have leverage, um, whether that's uh, using Russia, whether it's leveraging China, whatever it might happen to be. We saw the Saudis do this um, with China and Iran. There's no reason with this interesting mix of relationships that we're not able to work with our partners to be leverage, uh, working against actions that we think go against our own national security. So I, I think we can do that. And I think we have to be open to those thoughts and ideas. Sort of the other side of the coin from Jared's question, Senator, obviously China uh, continues to emerge, I think now finally in a bipartisan fashion as the identified top strategic challenge, top strategic threat, whatever word you want to use, of the century going forward for the United States. And we we see this throughout the world, wherever there is a vacuum, the Chinese love to fill a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And uh, for as much as we've talked about a pivot to Asia for so many years, it seems wherever we pivot from, the Chinese pivot into. And so I wonder, you know, with especially within the Republican foreign policy debate today, we, we do see this tension is obviously boiling over on the Ukraine front, but broader, you know, concerns over whether or not we are focused enough on the China threat. Should we be diverting resources, pull out of the Middle East, pull out of Europe, put everything we have into Asia at the expense of wherever China may go? How do you deal with that tension as you're talking to thought leaders, you're talking to members on, you know, everybody wants to confront China, um, but are we are we capable of, you know, the, the, the walking and chewing gum at the same time? Or do we need to rethink how we have this debate altogether? And, and is this China broker deal between the Saudis and Iran maybe the example? 
Well, I think that we can walk and chew gum at the same time, but we obviously need a strong uh, defense industrial base to do that because key um, beyond the diplomatic measures and efforts through our various state departments or equivalents is the military capabilities portion. And we need to think about this um, quite carefully because we know that uh, particular particularly with the United States, we are spending a considerable amount of hard dollars on military equipment. Uh, and to some extent, some on the soft power side where we're providing humanitarian uh, supports and so forth. But um, you're right in that wherever we move from, China will inhabit and they do fill that vacuum. And my great fear is that if we do not learn how to walk and chew gum in this instance, whether we're focusing on Ukraine and Russia's uh, illegal invasion or whether we are looking at the very real possibility of China uh, invading Taiwan in near term, uh, we've got to figure this out. But that means that we do have to step up our game in the United States and make sure that our industrial base is supportive because we know that uh, just given Taiwan, for example, they've already purchased about $19 billion worth of U.S. military hardware that has yet to be delivered and it won't be delivered for many, many years. Well, let's let's stop. Let's focus on our defense industrial base and make sure they are capable of delivering the equipment that is needed to our friends and allies so that all of us collectively can push back against our adversaries. So uh, I know there is division and different thoughts within the Republican Party here, maybe a little bit even on the Democratic side, but I truly believe that we need to be supporting Ukraine. And it is about uh, who controls uh, the global world order. And what does that order look like if it's controlled by Russia, by Iran, by China, by North Korea? It's not a pretty picture. Well, Senator, as, a, as somebody of uh, Ukrainian descent, it's great to hear you say that. And, uh, um, and I think it's important to hear voices in the Republican Party saying that unequivocally. Uh, to shift gears for a second, um, in staying in the Middle East, but um, around the region, we're hearing um, rumors um, at various levels of the potential for normalization between uh, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia and Syria. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, you know, what the implications of that could be uh, bringing the Assad regime back out in the cold. I mean, Assad is a leader who everybody gave him two weeks, 10 years ago, uh, and and he just has managed to hang around, um, you know, multiple different armies operating within his borders, ISIS, uh, you know, but yet he still uh, endures. What do you think that uh, that bringing Assad in from the cold might do to the region generally? Well, again, um, very strange relationships uh, that we have. Um, but if there is opportunity to leverage uh, Syria, we would want to do that, whether it's Assad or someone else. Uh, but uh, containment must be key there as well. 
Uh, we know that it is a key territory for the United States. We still do have members of our military that are operating in that space. We have a lot of uh, terrorist groups that operate in that area. Um, very, very concerning. Uh, I don't know how good a leader Assad would be. Um, truly, he seems to be leading, um, but going nowhere. Uh, so we we do have a concern. We do have a concern. But if there are ways that we can leverage Syria, we need to figure out what those are, but do them without alienating our strong partners and allies. Um, so that is yet to be seen. I don't have an answer there, um, but we just know that there's a lot of, of uh, terrorist activity in that that country. And it's it's why we continue to have a troop presence there. And, and Senator, you know, we've seen that the Saudis perhaps, you know, making this bet that the Chinese somehow can can rein in the Iranians, uh, which I think is a fool's errand. That's laughable. Per, per, perhaps also making a bet that the Russians can, can rein in Assad and, and kick the Iranians out of, of Syria. Um, obviously, uh, a real issue uh, front and center right now for the Senate, um, the recent attack against U.S. forces once again by uh, Iranian-backed uh, militias in Syria, um, the response from the Biden mm-hmm. administration, um, the kerfuffle now over notification mm-hmm. amidst the vote mm-hmm. on, on the repeal mm-hmm. of, of the AUMF. Uh, first of all, what are you hearing uh, from the administration um, on what took place, uh, what the response was? Do you think the response has been appropriate so far? Do you want to see uh, a stronger response from the president uh, to these attacks? And, and you know, where do you see this going uh, of U.S. policy towards Syria? Yeah. Um, well, one, the attacks are inexcusable. And we're very, very disappointed, at least amongst the GOP. And you can feel that frustration uh, the other morning when we sat in our armed services committee with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, and Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, uh, and their response to the delay in notification from the most recent of those attacks uh, being that, well, we were busy or, oh, well, we should have notified you sooner. Uh, I think you can go back, you can... Uh, obviously watch Senator Tom Cotton's response to that. You can watch Senator Roger Wicker's response to that. Uh, Very, very strong. Um, We do feel that it was politically motivated by the administration. And certainly we know, uh, many of us in the Senate know and understand that Iran is not our friend. Iran is not someone who is going to work with us on a nuclear deal. We know that they are our enemy. They are a top adversary, not just to the United States, but to many in the Middle East, including Israel and many Arab nations. Um, So the thought that they continued to strike us through their so-called proxies, which basically is just a, a way of excusing an attack on Americans or friends, um, and allowing them to get away with that, it's, it's just deplorable. I'm getting so worked up about it right now. It just, it makes me angry. 
that uh, in the last two years in the Biden administration, we have seen 83 attacks coming from Iran or their so-called proxies. And only four times did the United States strike back. That signals to Iran that we are weak and we're not willing to stand up for our own. And if we're not willing to stand up for our own, that leads our friends and allies in the region to wonder, are they going to stand up for us? So I absolutely think that one, the response was delayed. I do think it was politically motivated, but two, it brought up that broader discussion of, are, are we really leading in that region uh, or are we bowing in fear uh, to Iran? And where does that leave our friends and allies? Are they in the lurch or are we going to be there? Uh, and just to pick up on that, obviously on the, the larger strategic threat uh, from Iran, we know that they have now enriched at least once, um, mm -hmm. uh, almost to weapons grade uranium, uh, near just below ninety percent. Uh, we've heard now over the weekend uh, from the Israeli Prime Minister leaking through sources that he's telling European leaders that if he sees sustained production of enriched uranium above sixty percent, that could be a military red line for the Israelis. We have these expanded terror attacks going on. A terror plot in Greece just foiled uh, as well, uh, looking to kill Israelis on European soil. Uh, it it would seem, you know, add in the support to Russia, the human rights stuff going on. It would seem we are at sort of a breaking point in this years long strategic framework of an Iran nuclear deal and and what I would call an appeasement framework. Maybe Jerry would call mm -hmm. it something else. Uh, do you believe there is a moment here? to actually change U.S. policy? Will the administration finally say the Iran deal is done, snapback should come, here's a mm. new policy? And what should that policy be that you think could get bipartisan support right now? Right. And this is an, an area that we addressed in our discussions on that recent congressional delegation. Um, not only did we visit uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, we also uh, went to Israel and we were able to visit with the prime minister and he spoke very clearly about this. And we are seeing a lull, obviously, in negotiations on the JCPOA. I think that's great. Um, I think that uh, the administration was very naive to think that anything they negotiated would be followed by this uh, regime. Uh, but the prime minister made it very clear, and I do agree with the prime minister, that we as Americans need to say loud and clear that this Iran nuclear deal is dead. It is dead. We will no longer negotiate it. And why would we when we know that they have clump, uh, have enriched so close to breakout? Uh, so I think that we do need to say it's dead. And we really do need to restore credible deterrence against Iran. Um, it, it's so important that we do that and we show Iran that we're, we're not pussyfooting around. We're not going to take this. Um, you need to stop. And uh, beyond that, um, I'm, I'm willing to visit a number of the recommendations that will come from our military authorities or political authorities and uh, those that are working in uh, the diplomatic space as well. I'm willing to listen to any ideas that are out there, but we cannot be signaling weakness to Iran. Senator, just to follow up on that, if uh, 
it, it, you know, from what I'm hearing you say is that you believe the diplomatic uh, route with Iran is is been exhausted, is over. It's not going to lead to anything productive in terms of curtailing their their um, their nuclear program. Are you saying that that uh, at this point force is the only uh, option left on the table? I know for for years American presidents, Republican and Democrat, have said we'll leave all all the options on the table. Uh, is that the only thing left on the table at this point, or are there other options that 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 could be exhausted as well? Yeah, I think there there's always options that are available out there. I think every day might present new opportunities that we're unaware of today. And so we should always leave those options on the table. But I, I will just say in my discussions with um, CENTCOM commander, General Carrilla, uh, just understanding the difficulties, if this is allowed to continue and go on much longer, there will be a point where we are not able to stop Iran from enriching. And what are those options? I don't know what all of those options are. Um, and I won't say those on a podcast either, um, but I that's think fair, but that's options, a very fair answer, Senator. Yes, <laughs> options need to be on the table. And, and Senator, we touched on their support for uh, Russia, Iran's support for Russia, and the war against Ukraine. We have new intel out, out of the uh, the Brits uh, in recent days mm-hmm. that there's sort of a regular resupply of drones going going through there. Um, you made a lot of headlines. You you. you restated your view already in this interview, but you made some headlines recently as you were hosting uh, former Vice President Mike Pence in Iowa mm-hmm. and you were having this discussion on Ukraine and, and in the midst of you know what is a, a pretty robust conversation on the role of the United States in the world and, and, and commitment to allies. Um, you made very clear statements, which, which you've just done again mm-hmm. today. You are a senator from Iowa, right? You know, mm-hmm. Heartland, uh, you know, Middle America, the the Midwest. You know, the common sense. You know, we think about uh, first primary state, at least for the Republicans. Uh, you know, what 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 is it that you see in the in the messaging in in the feelings of everyday conservatives, let alone anybody else? that gives you the confidence to make these statements where some of your colleagues are backing away, shying away, concerned when they see polling, when they see Tucker Carlson on the news, whatever it is? Well, I I think my military experience has lent uh, validity and and credibility to my statements, my worldview, the things that I have seen in my travels. Um, and a lot of, of what I feel, a, w- a lot of what my value set is, what is informed um, at a very early age. Um, I'll briefly share my experience and, and why I feel so very strongly about Ukraine uh, is that I attended an agricultural exchange in Ukraine in 1989, and it was part of the Soviet Union. And there were 18 Iowa students um, from all parts of the state that uh, lived in different homes on one collective farm. And in the evenings, we would come together as a community and, and we thought we were there to talk about agriculture. But the first night that we came together as a community, uh, we thought that we would be peppered about Iowa agriculture. How do you raise your corn and soybeans? You know, things like of that nature. And the first question that the Ukrainians asked was, what is it like to be an American? And it was pretty telling at that time that that country wanted to be free. And the hunger in their voices and 
their inquisitive nature about our form of government and our democracy. And it was incredible to me and the others that attended that exchange mm-hmm. that it was more than uh, it was more than agriculture. They really just wanted to have a true, solid experience with young Americans that might be able to make a difference in the future. And so I feel very strongly that they they want independence. They have gotten most of the way there, but somehow they've always remained under the thumb of Russia. So that informed me at a very young age how incredibly important the United States was to many other countries that wish to look to the West to model after our value system. And I still see that today in my travels uh, through the United States Senate. I saw it as I was working in the Iowa Army National Guard and deployed for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Every country, country's leadership that I visit with, they always state how important it is that America engages. And I think in recent decades, we've slipped backwards with that, where we have this isolationist group, this group that thinks if we just let the rest of the world alone, everything will be okay. But we know it's not when there are predators like Iran, when there's predators like North Korea, like China, like Russia, when they exist out there, the rest of the world is in jeopardy. Peace is in jeopardy. Senator, as a segue, uh, so Iowa caucuses, uh, not too far away. Um, any predictions what what the Republican field is going to look like in 2024? I mean, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask. We always assume uh, that it's like, you know, you, everybody has to go to the Iowa State Fair because that's the oracle of what all yes. state fairs will look like yes, for the rest of yes. the year. And if you have a U.S. Senator from Iowa, you must ask about the primary Yeah, yeah it's that's right. Absolutely. And I would be disappointed if you didn't. So uh, it is it is in full swing. Uh, and we know the caucuses come up the very early part of next year in 2024. But all of those Republican hopefuls are already making their way through the great state of Iowa. They will all go to the state fair. That's a must do. Um, but they're coming out and they're meeting with uh, voters and GOP parties. They're going to chili cook-offs. You know, they're doing foreign policy discussions with me and the Bastion Institute. Uh, they're doing all of these wonderful activities to reach as many of those caucus goers as possible to get their word out. And I think it's really important. And for me this year, I am focusing heavily on foreign policy because we're really at a point where foreign policy will, will really be the issue of the day for decades to come. This is what America needs to focus on. And Iowans, you know, they're up to speed on all of this. I mean, they get it. We trade our agricultural goods, our manufactured goods with the world. We see what's going on. We see how Russia's invasion in Ukraine is affecting the markets. And so Iowans are very, very well educated, not just on our own state of affairs in Iowa and the United States, but our interaction globally and how important that is. All right, Senator, we are going to proceed to the lightning round, which is the most fun you will ever have on a podcast. We're going to ask you a series of questions to kind of get a little bit of a better sense of who you are. I'm actually going to depart from our script and ask you, what is your favorite food to eat at the Iowa State Fair? Oh, man. Okay. 
favorite food. It has to be on a stick. It okay. has to be pork because I came from a hog farming family. Um, so pork chop on a stick. But I would say out of view of cameras, uh, the corn dog. The corn dog. The corn dog. Okay. And it's it's very Iowa, right? It's corn very. and it's on a stick. <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're just going to need to talk to like the Chabad rabbi uh, of, of Iowa City <laughs> or something and try to get like – the kosher version of that pork on a like, stick. Or you get, like a lamb, Rich, you get a lamb chop on a stick. Or you can get like a kosher lamb chop on a stick. Why is there no falafel at a state fair? I've always wondered that. I mean, I, you know, I think a falafel would do well at the state fair. Oh, falafel would be great. Um, they do have, for uh, the vegans out there or vegetarians, they do have salad on a stick. Oh. The, the interesting thing, though, is that there's never a line. At right, that right. food truck. There's never <laughs> one. All right, Rich, you go. <laughs> uh, in in your travels and meetings, et cetera, is there a favorite Yiddish, Hebrew, or Arabic word or phrase that you've picked up that, that you've enjoyed, that you like, that kind of sticks with you, that you use? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I don't know about a Yiddish word or phrase, but I would probably have to say schlepping. That's, that's Yiddish. Um, perfect. That's, that, 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 Yiddish. that's perfect Yiddish. That's perfect. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. Because Senator, I, I can, schlep a every, lot of Everyone's schlepping to you in Iowa for the caucuses. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's right. It's very good. And, you should use and, this. And Senator, I'm going to give you one to take back. So Michigas, which means like nonsense and going on. If you look out at the caucuses and all the parties and cook-offs, like enough of this Michigas, you just want to figure out who's going to be, who's going to win. Rich, is that is that appropriate? That's fine. That's, That's fine. fine. Okay. All right. Next question. Next question. Sorry. Um, favorite place that you visited in any Abraham Accords country? Favorite place. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this one because it's also important to my dear friend and brand new Senator Katie Britt of Alabama. Uh, we Roll were tide. In the old, yes. So, Roll okay, tide, y'all. We're, we're going there. We're okay. going there. Um, so in the killed, old killed city, my bracket, killed my yeah, bracket. Yeah. On the side, the President's bracket ended like when they started the tournament. Right, anyways, go But in the old city, uh, there is one of the little shops in Jerusalem uh, is an actual Alabama store. And so Katie Britt and I and the rest of the members of the congressional delegation visited this store and and I bought a T-shirt. OK, I'm not an Alabama fan, but I bought a T-shirt from there because it half of it was in Hebrew the other half in English. It was, you know, obviously roll tide. I don't know what else it said. I hope oh, it's decent. Yeah. Um, because I've worn it around town now. Um, but it was just really fun. And it was just a reminder that our countries are so interconnected. That's a great one. I've never That's heard awesome. that before. I never heard that. I, I, you know, it makes me wonder if there's like a nonprofit out there that just gets like wind of a Codell and like it just like becomes it's that a, team it's a pop as a up. senator <laughs> comes by and they know you're going to that street. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I'm going to Israel with some friends from Alabama in November, so I got to hey, find out where this is because you've got to check it out. So All I right. bought a T-shirt and I bought a mezuzah. Okay. So, so you have to work right. on the Iowa store. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. An Iowa State, Iowa State store. Iowa State Iowa store, yeah. All right, Rich, you got one exactly. more for the senator, and then she has to get uh, back to any, the important Any favorite work. Jewish foods, and then we'll let you go vote. Okay, matzo ball soup. Um, From so, where? Do you have a favorite um, one? There, There is a deli um, up in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Mm-hmm. 
where you can get matzo ball soup. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but I will just tell you, I have a significant other who is Jewish. And so... Okay, there we so go. That was, is that is a. I know that deli I too. I can't remember the name. Uh, <laughs> that is fantastic, Senator Ernst. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.